You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul explains that Israel is chosen in Scripture, not because it is special, but in order to demonstrate that all the nations, including Israel, are the same. I am happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Okay, I would like to present the following chapters in a bird's view, it's very important. I was doing some research in preparation for the podcast, and I realized something that is extremely important in my eyes. <laughs> Perhaps the main reason being that it really confirms and seals a view of mine that I keep repeating time and again and again and again, but the people don't like to listen because they are taken by the chosenness in the sense of being special. I mean, listen to the Jews, listen to the Christians. The Muslims, by the way, have a different approach. You know, basically they say that everyone at birth is potentially a Muslim, but that at one point the person discovers that one is very interesting because it goes hand in hand with the Bible. But let's put this aside and just see what scripture is saying. Well, there is something very important that happens in chapter 17. It's the covenant of circumcision which is connected with the change of names from Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And I always said that it's a belittling. So until the beginning of chapter 17, we have Abram, whose name we heard the first time at the end of chapter 11. So technically, we have the story of Abram between 12 and 16. That is very important, as we shall see. And that, according to me, may explain, I say may for the time being, although I'm pretty sure it is so, that this is one of the reasons where Abram slash Abraham does not have a Toledot. You know, this personality is very special. It's at the beginning of everything in the story, and then the promise, just by reading Galatians and Romans, one can see that. Even the statement of Jesus, you know, you think that you are the children of Abraham. It's very powerful. But the scripture, as I say repeatedly, is much more cunning than we imagine. I mean, really the authors control us from A to Z if we're listening to their scriptures. Now, if we want to listen to our own theology, we can do anything we want. 
like no differentiation between Abram and Abraham. Given all that, I view those chapters as being a totality in themselves that reflects my thesis. I referred to my thesis earlier, namely that the chosenness of one of the nations is not because that nation is special. Obviously, in Deuteronomy, we hear the opposite, that you are not special. I just chose you. But the chosenness of God is to show everybody that there is no difference between anyone from the nations. Let's go back. First of all, we have Ha'adam representing everybody. Sad story. Then we have someone who gave the impression, actually, he was walking according to God's will and so on. And through him, God continues his creation through the flood. But then we end up with a sad ending with Noah that introduces the curse. Here with Abram, we have something interesting. Remember, we have the appeal of God to him to go to the land he's pointing out to him. And Abram submits. And then this story culminates, interestingly, with the mention of a covenant before chapter 17. In chapter 17, as we shall see, the covenant is made with Abraham, not Abram. But we have a covenant at the end of chapter 15, which is made with Abram. But let's listen to it. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, which is the famous Zerah, the seed, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then we have for the first time the mention of the ten nations, which are representative of all possible nations. Number ten. Kenites, Kenizzites, Gadmonites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites. Which is very interesting that suddenly at that point, with the mention of the Zerah, we have the totality of the nations, exactly as in the case of Noah after the flood, where we hear, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your seed after you in 9.9, and then also with the rest of the creation. So we have a parallelism here that the covenant is established after God has taken Noah and his children and their wives through the calamity of the flood. Now, I'm mentioning this because this is what I see happening in the case of Abram. We have the total story of the scriptural Israel the way we have the total story of humanity in Noah. 
namely that Abram settles for a while in the land of Canaan, but then he goes down to Egypt and he's saved by God, as I have mentioned, and we can come back to that by plaguing Pharaoh and so. And then we have the trouble with Lot and the division. And then we have a covenant with Abram. And please notice that is free of charge the way the covenant of Noah was. It's just on the part of God. I'm stressing this because the following covenant, which is circumcision, is conditional. Okay? So the movement in the story of Abram parallels the movement in the story of Noah. Now, the importance of the inclusion of all the nations at the end of chapter 15 is clearly in preparation of the covenant of circumcision where everybody is included, even the slaves and the stranger under the tent of Abraham. But then one notices that between the end of 15 where we have a covenant and the beginning of 17 where we have the covenant of circumcision, we have strangely the story of the birth of Ishmael, who, by the way, is going to be next to Abraham, the second or the first one to be circumcised before Isaac that appears in chapter 18. It is unbelievable how the whole thing is presenting Abram in the land of the scriptural Canaan, as I stress in my book, which is the Syrian desert, the Syrian Arabian desert, the totality of the nations, very important. And that tells me again that these chapters form a unit in themselves, and something that is interesting that, remember the nations, it's power and multiplicity and everybody. That's why I believe this story is connected with Abram, the mighty father, and Sarai, my princess, have a lot of children. Okay? And then they are belittled. And that, by the way, seals my thesis that ultimately things begin to work according to God's will when the human being is belittled. Isaiah chapter 2, then later at the end, the apostle to the nations is belittled from the mighty Saul into the little Paul. That's how I see these chapters, and I've been working on them. And I noticed the importance of that. Now, let me say something else about the nations. That the first time we have Abram, Abar, crossing, the first instance of the verb Abar, to cross through a land in chapter 12, 
exactly at that point, we hear that the Canaanites at that time were in the land. And then in the following chapter, we have the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I explained that Perizzites is from the verb paraz, which is to spread to a lot. And thus, it is already an inclusive name. And this is confirmed in the mention of the ten nations in chapter 15, beginning with Canaanites, who are the descendants of Cain, the first son of Adam, followed immediately by the Kenuzites and the Kadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites. Very interesting. Hittites, Perizzites together, and then Amorites before the Canaanites. And the Amorites are very important. They are reflective of the first mighty power in the Syrian desert. So, there is something going on here, which is basically that God does, He, remember, the word establish my covenant in Hebrew is hekim, to make it stand. That's the same verb that reflects the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He will make stand his covenant, but again, unconditional on his part with everybody. I'm going to do it in spite of what you're going to hear through the boringly lengthy story every time the people do not want and they do not want. Remember the famous chapter of 1 Samuel 8, they wanted a king and so on, but God is in control. And that tells me again that my reading is correct, that the entire message of scripture is already in 1 through 4, that in spite of what Adam and Eve and Cain do, God is in control through Seth and then Enosh, but mainly Seth, who is precisely the Zerah, the first Zerah. And then this story is repeated in the story of Noah and the flood, Noah that is potentially all the nations, then the culmination with chapter 10 with the nations, then we have chapter 11, we are in Babylon, and the tower, and the city, and so on. But then, in the story of Abraham, we have the same thing. Remember, he goes to Egypt, comes back, and then he goes fighting the powerful kings of Mesopotamia, and comes back, and here we smell already Isaiah you know, coming back to the city where he meets Melchizedek and Salem and so on, which is a very interesting chapter. Actually, it sounds self-standing, but more and more I'm seeing that it is put functionally within 12 through 16. So we have the entire story again repeated, where everything goes bad. Let me point here that the birth 
of Ishmael is interesting in that, you know, Abram wanted to have a child his own way. With the approval of Sarai, who later, as we shall hear, will behave really badly toward Hagar, who gave her a son. And later we shall hear that those who are put aside, Ishmael and then Esau, have a Toledot. You see how the scripture includes everybody in the concern of God. And that brings me to refer again to one of my three basic theses, I mean these three crimson threads in the Bible, one of them being the interest in the nations and not in Israel proper. Israel just is an ultra example, meaning all of you nations are really evil in your plans, basically. And to prove to you, this is how I hear scripture, I'm going to toss the coin and choose a nation that is basically nothing, little, very little, but ultimately it behaves as a grand nation and powerful, like Nimrod. Okay, and this is how the story of Israel and Judah are built um, around the kings. I mean, the Septuagint, remember, it was translated by the original authors, but the name that is given in the Septuagint for the four books that are two, basically, Samuel and Kings, in the Septuagint, their title is the kingdoms, very interesting title. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm not bound by it because it is secondary, but again, the Septuagint is a good sign for me to test my thesis. And it is precisely the kingdom that collapses, not just one king at the end of two kings, which is four kingdoms. So that's how I view these chapters, or let me put it, the story of Abram again, not Abraham. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.